Welcome to the Product Podcast, brought to you by Product School, the podcast where you get fresh insight from leaders at top tech companies and startups. Remember, you can learn product management in person at our 15 campuses worldwide or study with us online. Visit productschool.com to learn more about our courses. You can also hang out with the leaders from these podcasts at our hundreds of annual events and catch us at ProductCon, the world's largest PM conference that takes place every year across the United States and in London. So as a product leader, like we expect product leaders to think about a problem and think about various solutions that we can come up with by using the six thinking hats principle which allows you to figure out like what are the six different dimensions through which I should be able to you know um, put a perspective out so I'll get into the details of like the different functions here but at least at a minimum we need to think about the the different aspects that are involved in by UX design or by engineering and championing the customer voice etc. So what I did was, to prepare for this session, I went ahead and spoke with some of our UX designers as well as some of the UX designers I had previously in our front thread. So I understood what is their standpoint for customers, for product management, right? Do they think that we don't do anything? Or how do they expect us to add value? So here are the three big aspects that I got to know from their perspective. So the first one is organization. They really expect product to come into the to come into the room or to come into any conversations with like a one-pager document, which is also called PRD. And we'll get into that later on. But we they really expect us to come prepared with you know that that the fact that what is the product objective, what are the goals, what are what is it that we are trying to achieve, and and things like that. Knowledge in terms of data. For UX, while they are delivering their UX mocks, they don't have access to the data analytics folks or any of the dashboards that the product teams are using. So product management is expected to enable them and help them with all the data elements that can exist related to a product. And finally, they expect us to be an ally where they Whenever there are tense conversations going on between UX and engineering, they expect product to like chip in and you know help in terms of the product vision so that there can be consensus in the room, not only from a UX standpoint, but also from an engineering standpoint. So those were the key. I'll also talk about the engineering standpoint now. So the way engineering expects product management, uh, what are the top three things that they're looking for? They expect us to be very clear with our product vision and go into the room with a, a like you know a product perspective. Clearly define the requirements for them because many a times our requirements can be very broad and um, there's a lot of cognitive load that we might let, like end up providing on the engineering side. So we want to make sure that we are we make our specs so detailed. Think about the positive and the negative scenarios even before they can occur and provide any edge cases that can come in the end-to-end -end product experience. Okay, so now coming on to um, the fact that product also like can like works and defines the business requirements. 
So if we have done our due diligence and like defining the requirements well, that may put engineers on a very good spot to begin, you know, developing the solution rather than having to think about the problem and think about more scopes. The ones who are very curious, they definitely have the leeway to think more. But however, in many situations when they have a lot of competing priorities going on, they need to deliver, that's when um, products can add value and make sure everything is up to spec and we have a clear acceptance criteria for the requirements that we have built in. And in terms of prioritization, one of the big, uh, big roles of a product manager is to prioritize. And for prioritizing also for engineers, many a times there will be uh, cases where you have your queue or QR, uh, your quarterly deliverables that are there. And on top of it, you have customer bugs that keep coming in and you need the engineering's attention to, uh, to either work on the deliverables or to work on the, on the bugs that have come up. So that's when, if, if you can use a structured way of, you know, uh, prioritizing those tasks for the engineers, and I'll talk about one example in the, in the upcoming slides, that will help the engineer to make the right decision, and you can, you both can collectively work on that particular uh, scenario. Is there a framework or something for that? There are frameworks for prioritization. I'll be covering one, and then there are more which we have to get deeper into. We'll have another session south. <laughs> Let's think about the business standpoint. They are like really expecting product to be excellent communicators, being data-driven, customer-obsessed, CEOs, everything that you've heard about before. However, being there to like support the stakeholders at the time when there is a sense of urgency, because product managers, although some of us feel that they don't do anything, there's a lot of multitasking that the product managers are doing, and hence there are chances that product is always found low on bandwidth when it comes to you know any of the critical uh, demands. So what I would encourage product managers to do in this case is that you yourself is also a product version. Think about yourself being that product manager of your own product and like figuring out which meetings are most critical to go to, where, which are the meetings in which you are going to make decisions or where your involvement is the most required so doing prioritization not only for engineers but also for your own time becomes extremely important and that frees up some of your bandwidth for other critical tasks that will come along the way. So keep prioritizing your own time to be able to be available at the time when it's needed. And finally, analytics. Some companies product works as a product analytics function also. Other companies, you would have product analytics managers working with you to help you prepare your measurement plan or to provide you data as needed. From their perspective, they expect product managers to come up with a clear ask. Sometimes product managers would just say, we need data. And then, like, without providing extra context around why is that needed, what is the customer problem that we are solving. So being more structured in our questions and, you know, asking them more accurately will help analytics be of more use to us and be able to, uh, you know, of course, having clear communication skills and formulating the measurement plan with the analytics folks is super critical. Okay. Now comes the time for uh, the most important deliverable that a product manager creates. is called the product requirements document. And it's also in some companies, it's called the one pager, in the others it's called like BRDs. 
But what is that one pager doing at the end of the day? So let's say if you have an idea and you want to socialize that idea with other folks without like thinking about it, that idea can seem very abstract. But if you put that idea into a format which can help stakeholders get a sneak peek into what you're thinking and how you're thinking can be can be very helpful for you to um, socialize that idea with leadership or with some of the other stakeholders. So PRD is that one document that product managers are expected to create very clearly. And as you start creating more, you become very good at it with time. So spending some time, even when you're not working in a product function, if you are thinking about an idea, Link it in this format can really help you, uh, you know, socialize it. So let's understand what does the PRD include. So the first and foremost is what is the problem or the customer pain point that you are trying to solve. And as engineers or as consultants, we quickly get into solving the problem without thinking deep about what is that problem? How many customers is it impacting? Is it very important to solve it now versus a later point in time? Those are the kind of questions we should ask ourselves while thinking about the problem and also late in this format. So the first one is what problem you're solving? Second is why now? Could we solve it at a later time? Or if we take that time, would our competitors solve it first and then get ahead of it? So we need to think about why we need to solve those problems. Uh, is there going to be a net loss associated with it? That's why it becomes very urgent. What's the urgency behind doing it now? Who are you solving for? Especially in omnichannel retail work, there are many problems and features that we develop that not only impacts the customers, but also impacts our store associates, or let's say customer care agents. Or let's say for at least for grocery deliveries, uh, the drivers that are there, that are you know delivering groceries to the customers. So thinking about who are we solving for is very critical in a particular industry. Now comes our hypotheses, which the, which you may have heard of many times. But hypothesis is like as we aim to solve a particular problem, thinking about the problem and then coming up with like a desirable outcome of that problem and proposing like changes to the current workflow. So think about like, you know, developing the feature where you feel that by proposing this one UX over the other would impact in a predictable outcome, such as like saving uh, the company a couple of dollars or making higher impact on the GMV or producing more add to carts for a particular uh, flow and things like that. So put a small example here where, where I'm telling that as we build the solution with the proposed changes to UX, and proposed changes could be like changing the color of a button. That's very small. But like adding a button at a certain point in the screen, we're able to save this much percentage of customer cost. This is just an example of a predicted outcome. The outcomes could differ depending on the problem that you're trying to solve. Then coming up with success criteria and metrics. So at least in the, like so I can speak for the retail world, uh, we like define our customer journeys into three parts, like the pre-transaction, the transaction, and the post-transaction funnel. 
pre-transaction is more around like searching the items or browsing or like the home page or item pages for that matter. The transaction part of the funnel is more around transacting, giving the opportunity to the customer to transact. And by transacting, I mean like allowing the customer to add the items to cart, checking out, and then the post-transactional world, which involves like your orders, order details, anything that is after checkout. That part is the post-transactional world, and it includes accounts, communications, or any features that you build in the post-transactional world. So understanding the success metrics for that particular customer journey, whether it's pre, whether it's transaction, or it's post-transaction, is critical. So again, depending on the problem you're solving, the success metrics could look like, at least in the post-transactional world, it could be NPS or CSAT or complaints per order. Those are some of the examples of the metrics. In the pre-world, the metrics are majorly around like add to cards or how many add to cards are coming from home page or item pages and stuff like that. And finally, a stakeholders team impacted and launch strategy. So product manager in, in like bigger companies, one feature launch can take, as I said, multiple teams to perform a certain function for you to be able to launch a particular product. So product managers are expected to figure out all the dependencies that it may entail for shipping feature. So coming up with those stakeholders and like listing them down, listing them down socializing that part gets, is important. And finally, the launch strategy. Are you gonna A-B test it or are you gonna have a pre-post analysis? Like thinking upfront about it and like putting in this format helps leadership to know whether it's worth investing or we need to wait more, do more discovery around this before we are ready to invest. Now, this is a measurement one pager. So the first one pager that you saw was product requirements document. Then there's another one pager which could be a measurement one pager, which can be created once the once the development has begun. It doesn't need to be created before, but can be created during the development time also. And this particular one pager, which is called the measurement plan, can help you to figure out what is it that you will be measuring once you are ready to launch this feature. Is it going to have an A-B test, or are we going to go with the pre-post um, style of measuring? What is the intent of the test? Is it going to be for scaling the feature further, or is it going to be for deprecating the feature? And then after defining the intent, you define the hypotheses, as I had mentioned before. You tell what you are experiencing right now, give your proposed changes for a predicted outcome. And you also figure out what are the qualifying criteria for the test, what are the product, business, and operational metrics that you will want to be measuring? And what's the launch decision? What are the different points that can come within the launch based on which you do not decide to launch? When and at what point will you say that it's a no-go, we cannot launch it any further? If the product is big, buggy or if the business metrics are not being met, um, there's critical points that you should establish for knowing that if these metrics are met, that's when we'll be launching this feature versus making a decision that we won't be launching it any further. So 
Important, you should keep this in your list of things to do and something which product should work with analytics to define and hone as we go along the way. Now coming into problem solving. So most of the times when you go to engineering and you figure out, like I was giving you that example where uh, product managers would go to engineering and tell them that this is the bug that we need to solve. And, but they're already working on their quarterly deliverables. So if product managers can, can go to them and then tell them that, you know, here is when we are, this scenario is occurring. Um, define the impact for engineering so that they can really figure out that whether it's a problem that needs to be fixed right away, like urgently, or can it wait for a couple of more days till the time the bandwidth gets more freed up. So as product, we should have, you know, good, uh, like we should have done our due diligence on the problem space and then go to engineering so that we can save engineering times and bandwidth to make sure that they are working on the most critical tasks and help them prioritize the list of things that they're already working on. So one of the good practices for product managers. And then I found this very nice little uh, cartoon here which was talking about thinking in terms of impact and not effort. So most of the product managers sometimes go to engineering and say, what's the, what's the level of effort, right? So instead of like getting into that level of effort conversation, I think if you define the impact, that will be a more fruitful conversation and a beginning point of a conversation. Impact is very wide, impact in terms of what? So how many customers, let's talk about a bug, right? How many customers is it impacting? Is it impacting all the customer flows or is it only occurring in a certain flow? And is that flow relevant to only one part of the customer journey? For example, like we have a lot of scenarios around uh, replacements or substitutions, which is only a part of the whole problem. So understanding whether the bug is occurring only in the part of the flow, or is it occurring more like, like for all the different customer journeys and for 100% of the customer base that you have. So defining that impact and frequency becomes super critical. So as you define use cases, I felt this was critical to think about industry. From an industry standpoint, if you're applying to companies like Uber or, or Lyft or Airbnb, like thinking about, when you're thinking about the product, you're not just thinking about the customers, but you're also thinking about the other people in that retail or in that um, delivery, like the whole ecosystem that you're impacting. So defining your use cases around whether it's going to impact only the customers or do we have store associates that are going to be impacted? Or in cases of Airbnb, is it going to impact the hosts and the customers? So thinking about your customer basis, not only from a single standpoint, but thinking more about different uh, touch points that you may have with different uh, parties involved in that journey is, is important. So, like whichever company you think about applying for, think about all the different uh, stakeholders that could come in that journey and how your features could impact all of them. Did you provide this presentation by the way? Are we able to get access to it? I think most of the presentations are posted on um, SlideShare once this is done. So I think you should have access to it. Um, like. She's like, that's the whole thing of product school, right? We do most of the times. 
So tools and resources. I found this was also very critical while I was also uh, you know, looking for uh, finding out what are the different tools that a product manager uses on a day-to-day -day basis. And I like, literally took like a screenshot of my Mac to just show here. Um, for when I'm communicating with my product partners or others that use Slack, many companies would use Jabber or any other communication tools. But one of the way to, you know, interact with your um, product partners or would be like using like using Slack for communication, but like if you're working with your leadership, using PowerPoints or using Confluence pages becomes a critical way to communicate. Uh, engineering, you would write your Jira stories in your uh, either Jira or many companies may have different formats, but like Jira is the most commonly used format across different companies. Splunk is another form of dashboarding. So I've heard like engineers use Splunk a lot. So just knowing how to use it, like it's not a mandatory thing, but just knowing how to use it can be helpful. UX, um, using InVision. I went to product school as well, and I did that part-time course, and I did uh, use InVision then. So that was very helpful for me, because it helps me quickly make prototypes uh, that I would want to socialize before even I have gone to UX to create like the whole uh, UX flows. So Envision is one of those and then Zeppelin, so something that UX folks use a lot. So just being familiar with that will be helpful. Now comes the time for do's and don'ts based on my experience. Do's, I've talked about it, but I'll just quickly go through those. Uh, define problem space really well. Don't jump into like solutioning first, just define the problem space. Be the customer's advocate because customers will not be there in all the meetings that you have with all the different stakeholders. So be the customer's advocate. Define requirements, uh, the specifications, as well as define the positive and the negative scenarios. Like think about it upfront as much as you can. There will be times when you figure out an edge case along the journey when it's being developed. That's okay. But however, thinking through all of the different positive and negative in the beginning is, is something which good product managers should you know, hone that skill. Define success metrics, do smoke testing. What I mean by smoke testing is testing which is performed by product closer to launch or after launch. Some companies use it, some companies doesn't use, don't use that concept. But for the companies who use it, if product is getting to do the testing and the validation, do that really well because we don't want to be shipping a buggy product and we don't want customers to find the issues before product does. So it's always good for product to do their due diligence and testing. However, we also expect QA to do their jobs and engineering to do that, that part. However, there will be times when there are many different flows that product is aware of and they can find issues along the way. So do that part really well and share, communicate insights. Even if the product is launched after that, if you are getting data from your analytics team, so your customers, share them with the team so that you can keep them motivated and they feel good about the data that's, uh, you know, for the, all the effort that they've put in, do share the insights with them, other than all the leadership and the uh, other areas that are involved. The don'ts for product, don't jump into solutioning right away. And then collaborate with your architects. If you are in a bigger company, you have solution architects. Work with them. Understand uh, that we are developing a solution. So seek their inputs and advice. Brainstorm with them. 
don't facilitate our coordinated meetings. Many a times what happens is UX is working in their silos and engineering is working with them. And since you are the glue that builds everything together, UX might say that, like, you know, can you, get, can you help me get that answer from engineering? So I don't expect product managers to be the middleman. Like, tell UX or engineering to talk to each other or any other functions to encourage them to reach out to each other for asking simple questions. So don't just be the facilitator, but be in meetings where you're actually adding value and are not doing just the coordination function. And don't build prototypes, but collaborate with UX. If you have a UX team, if you have the luxury of having UX partners, like, like you know, work with them to make the prototypes. Of course, earlier in the journey, when you don't have UX bandwidth, you come up with your ideas or PowerPoints and whatnot. But once it gets more formalized, work with them and involve them all along the way. And don't, don't just do testing for engineers uh, to find bugs. Work with QA to find those bugs. Like, Enable QA to find bugs for you rather than product coming in and finding all the bugs. So those are the don'ts for product managers. So uh, this particular slide is made to make sure that as you are shipping products, right? So it's, it's becoming your portfolio. So as a, as a product manager in your organization, you should be remembered or be you know, mentioned as somebody who has really done great work in the portfolio that you have established in an organization. So work on championing the vision, product vision. Every product manager should like, I feel, have a slide deck where they can socialize with different you know, stakeholders, where you have a product vision for your product. You have, not only do you have the vision, but you also know the strategy is being aligned to the overall strategy of the company. You are responsible for the end-to-end -end experience, and this is more from a customer experience standpoint, making sure that you are like you are very aware of what are the touch points where you would want to you know invest in versus not, and then being on top of your success metrics, and you're known for like shipping bug-free products. So these are some critical aspects of your portfolio that you should continue to invest in for the time that you're spending in any company as a product and manager. And the main takeaways that uh, I wanted us to like take from this session is that we discussed what uh, you know value UX is adding, engineering is adding, analytics is adding, program is adding, and different functions. Uh, so product, so we tend to think what is the value that we should be adding because the majority of the work, work per se, the deliverables, are being coming from different functions. So where you can truly you know, uh, add value is becoming the thought leader where you have a very well-defined, strong uh, product vision and that vision can help you motivate and energize your teams. And once the teams are uh, you know, bought into that vision, they will themselves like form like a guided collision, which can, like they're all coming towards that one cause that is the vision that you've kept for the product. So if you bring them all together in that journey, the product will eventually become a better product and then you can become like a stellar product uh, owner of that. Also providing a structured framework for problem solving with data will really uh, help you to add value to different products. So 
that's the final takeaway. Thank you for listening to the Product Podcast. If you like this episode, don't forget to leave a review on iTunes. For more product insights, head over to productschool.com.